Fighting the hair courses this week on the programme, an update on the police force that's taking the rural crime seriously and seeing real results. We've reduced the number of incidents in Lincolnshire, but we can reasonably anticipate that actually the offenders have gone to other parts of the country. And later we're talking about the weather, or rather the weather technology, that could see you getting a forecast exclusively for your own backyard. And then every 15 minutes, you will have a flow of information coming from your field. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Uh, I knew talking about equine flu on the programme last week would be a mistake. <clears throat> this isn't equine flu, but uh, <laughs> bear with me, the throat will last, I promise. Uh, now, we know the problems hair coursing can cause. It's an illegal sport that is showing no sign of fading, but in Lincolnshire at least, they are fighting back. We've discussed Operation Galileo before, and other forces are now adopting many of the measures, from using drones to seizing dogs. In the last year, the police force has reported a 41% drop in incidents. Of course, it does continually raise fears it's pushing the problem elsewhere, but clearly whatever's happening in Lincolnshire is having an effect. Heather Cartwright has been speaking with Chief Inspector Phil Vickers, the rural crime lead for the force. The previous season, so the September 17 to March 2018, um, Lincolnshire Police had started seizing dogs from hair courses. Um, we know that as a result of that changing practice, we built a reputation amongst the offenders that they didn't want to come here. Um, other forces were seizing dogs, but only keeping them for about 48 hours. We kept them until the offender had been dealt with at court. Um, and, and that was quite a disincentive for them to come to the county. Uh, that made a really big difference for that, that season. This year, we've built on that, so we've uh, continued to seize dogs. We're still the main force for, for seizing dogs for those lo that long period. Um, but we've also been using a number of other tactics. So, for example, we've been writing to all of the offenders, telling them the kind of things that we're doing, telling them that we know where they live and we know that they're involved in offending in Lincolnshire, uh, and, and basically building up our intelligence picture so that we can target the people who were causing harm in this county. And I guess then, just leading on from that, you've said that, um, you know, obviously it's been very effective here. Has that, in, in your knowledge, has that had a knock-on effect in other places and other, other counties in the country? Yeah, it has very much so. And I, I think whilst it is a, a positive story for um, the rural communities in Lincolnshire, we know that one of the things that's happened is displacement. So we've reduced the number of incidents in Lincolnshire, but we can reasonably anticipate that actually the offenders have gone to other parts of the country. And that really has lent, led into where we're going to go next year. Um, we've identified that there are 34 other forces around the country that suffer hair coursing to, to one extent or another. Uh, the tactics that we've used in Lincolnshire have been really effective, uh, and so we're taking a lead in, in terms of coordinating the police activity across the whole country. And has that been then, is that, I'm guessing that's uh, the work that you've been doing on the legislation with the um, the wildlife unit, is that right? That's right, yeah. We've been working both with DEFRA and the Home Office. Um, it, it's generally recognised that the, the legislation, the law around hair coursing is, isn't particularly effective and that it doesn't help us. Um, so when people are prosecuted um, and, and when they're dealt with at court, actually the penalties are really relatively low compared to sometimes, if there's illegal gambling involved, the benefit that they might receive from from it. So, so there's some work to be done there. Uh, the National Wildlife Crime Unit are, are supporting us next year because they're going to do some of the analytical work around identifying the other offenders. Policing in a rural county is always going to be a challenge. You know, the distances that are involved and, and when people uh, look for police assistance, uh, it, it can be a real challenge for us. Um, what we've been doing is making best use of the technology. So you know that we've had the, the drone teams and we're developing that because we know that that's an investment that saves us in the long run because it gathers good intel intelligence. Uh, and that's why we're 
we're working with other forces because we recognise that moving the problem into another force area doesn't solve it. So by working together, actually, that's where we can target the offenders and actually prevent the, the incidents from happening in the first place. That's great. So you you did mention then a bit about the technology, but I know that that is something that has um, come to the forefront this year. I don't know whether you could go into a bit more detail about, you know, the, the specific technologies that you've been using. Okay, well, we've been using uh, and developing our approach with drones um, across the county in a, in a rural for, for a rural force like Lincolnshire. Um, it makes a really big difference. So it means that we can search large areas, um, and, and you've seen examples over the past twelve months where we've been able to find pe- vulnerable people um, who have gone missing, and we can do that very very quickly. Uh, sometimes when a helicopter isn't available to us. So so using that kind of technology has been good for us. Uh, we've made an investment in four wheel drive vehicles. So as our older fleet has come up for replacement, um, we've invested in four-wheel drives, and that's meant that we're able to, to tackle hair coursing more effectively, go to the places that, that they're going to go, and, and be ready and waiting for them. And you mentioned earlier, actually leading on from that, about um, that you've been contacting offenders specifically. Um, is there a sort of a typical profile for the people who are committing hair coursing offences in Lincolnshire? Do you know, I don't think that there is. Um, one of the things that surprises us perhaps is the distances that people will travel. Um, so we've got offenders who come to Lincolnshire and have done for a number of years um, who've travelled hundreds of miles simply to, to be involved in hair coursing in this county. Uh, so in terms of a profile of offenders, well, we've seen some high-level criminals and you know we've been involved in prosecutions where um, organised crime groups uh, have been involved in hair coursing, uh, people who are involved in drug supply at a very high level. Uh, There are those people and there are people from across the spectrum and one of the things that we'll be looking to do uh, in the next season is is target them where it hurts and and often that's a financial investigation Um, but, but there are other tactics that we'll be using next year as well. And are there sort of predicted figures? Obviously, there's been, was it, um, I think in the year previous to, to this year, it was a 25% decrease, I think, or around that sort of area. What's your prediction for, for the, you know, continued success? Have you got sort of a figure in mind of how much you'd like to reduce? Uh, well, the, the, the simple answer is we want to wipe out illegal hair coursing. There isn't an acceptable figure. Um, we, we do believe that it's possible. When we, when we look at the approaches that we've taken in Lincolnshire and uh, we do speak to the offenders, you know, we, we look at the, the comments that they make when they're in custody with us, the comments they made at court, um, and, and we talk to them about what it is that motivates them to, to, to do what they do. Um, so from my perspective, what do I want to see? I want to see hair coursing wiped out and it's as simple as that. And I guess, um, you know, leading on from that, how much of it is about changing attitudes and what are some of the reasons that people give for, for coming to this county to, to hair course? In terms of the geography, Lincolnshire is, is seen as ideal. The large, open, flat fen areas are, are perfect and, and, and it does give the, uh, the offenders an opportunity to go to a number of different locations um, very close by. Uh, that's why we see colleagues, particularly in Cambridgeshire, but also Norfolk and Suffolk, where they've got similar large open areas, um, suffer th- this kind of offence. Um, what we try to do is redress the balance and, and make it a really unattractive place for them to come. What we'll be doing next year is making it an unattractive activity for them to be involved in. And how much of your work depends on you know co- sort of coordinating and relying on information given by the the rural community and farming community? Actually, it's really really critical. So um, it's about people having the confidence to call us early to tell us that they've seen something suspicious. Um, we know that a number of the offenders organise their uh, activities online. So sometimes there are open social media, Facebook groups where they're organising things that they're going to be doing in the future. We've had information from members of the public, and that allows us to be one step ahead of them. Um, to know where they're going to meet and, and to intercept them. And, and if we can seize the dogs, for example, before they're offending, then that, that takes the offending away. So uh, that, that 
that's the kind of thing that's really critical to us. And are there particular signs that people can be looking out for if they're suspicious that hair coursing is going on? Are there, I don't know, particular dog breeds and things like that that, that are an indicator? Yeah, I, and the truth is that the people who live in Lincolnshire know their local community. They know things that are maybe not quite ordinary, things that, that, that don't quite fit in. So, um, yes, we see groups of men who are driving typically older 4x4s. We know that the vehicles that they use to, to come over here um, will, will be relatively low-value four-wheel drives because they know that we'll seize them. That's a tactic that we've been using for a number of years now, uh, and they anticipate losing those vehicles. So that that's kind of one of the profiles in terms of the dogs. They are typically sighted hounds, so a lurcher, kind of a greyhound type um, type dog, and there will usually be a number of those dogs um, w- present with, with a group of typically uh, men. Uh, those are the kind of things, but basically for, for any type of criminality the message would be, if it looks out of the ordinary, give us a call. That's Chief Inspector Phil Vickers there on the ongoing success of Operation Galileo, chatting with Heather Cartwright. You know, it's fascinating uh, seeing just what they're doing to try and tackle hair coursing. Could one day it be eradicated? It'd be nice to think so, wouldn't it? On to agronomy then. Sean Sparling is uh, here. Uh, keen, no doubt, to hear our chat a little bit later on on the new technology forecasting the weather. Um, weather's always important, isn't it, Sean? Hello. Yes, good morning, Sean. Well, we might as well start there, really, and we? We've started with the weather for nearly 19 years. Why change a habit of a lifetime? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I would be turning more cartwheels and getting more excited if I hadn't heard it all before. I mean, if you think about it over the last 20 years, how many times have we had people on the programme or have we heard on the news that the Met Office is investing millions of pounds in new predictive equipment which is going to model the algorithms of how to predict the weather and in the same breath they tell us that the weather is totally unpredictable we've seen it all the time we've heard it all the time we know what the weather's like and to me quite frankly to be spending millions of pounds on another algorithm or set of data transfer protocols which just give us a 62 percent chance of rain tomorrow instead of a 58 percent chance of rain tomorrow from the old system i'm not sure that's going to break any records or tear down many trees is it um you know i've heard in the last five years from the most up-to-date weather forecasters the statement that it's going to stay largely dry over the next few days but anywhere could see some rain and in some places that rain could fall as snow well if that doesn't cover all of the bases i don't know what does i'm like everybody else i would guess in this job i have four or five apps on my phone that predict the weather i take an average of those and i pick the ones that suit what we're doing and keep my fingers crossed if we need rain we get rain if we need dry it stays dry it's all we can ever do it is unpredictable that is the whole point and the only thing we can ever be certain of in this job is what the weather did yesterday because the weather people hats off to them seem to get that right nearly every time Uh, right let's move on to agronomy then Um, the weather while we're talking about the weather did you see what i did there the weather has been quite benign this week we've had frost by night but we've had 11 12 13 degrees towards the end of the week and what that is doing it's starting to increase soil temperatures we're starting to see the first signs of mineralization and release of some of the nitrogen and some of these cereal crops started to change color some of these all seed rape crops just starting to change color because they're picking up a little bit of that nitrogen and sulfur and phosphate and potash mangrove 
manganese, magnesium that's being released from the soils. Now, it's early days at the moment because even with 12, 13 degree days, we've been getting frost by night. So we've got soil temperatures that are only just starting to creep up above four degrees now. That's when things will start to grow, but it's very, very slow. We're in the very early stages. So in terms of putting nitrogen and sulfur on any of these crops, oilseed rape, yes, I think if you can travel, it's probably worth doing that. Remember, the sulfate takes between three and five weeks, depending upon the soil temperatures, the conditions, the growth of the crop, to get into the plant itself. It has to go in through the roots. It does not go through the leaves. It has to go in through the roots. It has to go through several changes in order to get into the plant itself. And that process takes between three and five weeks. And you need the sulfate in an oilseed rape plant at the onset of stem extension. So by the end of March, early April. So you're probably plenty early enough at the moment, but the old saying, mate, hey, while the sun shines, if it will travel on these fields, you could take a punt and do one or two. Personally, I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket. Remember what happened last year? People went out and did that. Then we got the beast from the east in the equivalent of a, a significant amount of rainfall in March, April which will have washed some of that through. And that's the thing you've got to be cautious about. Putting nitrogen fertilizer, ammonium nitrate fertilizers and sulfate fertilizers on any crop where the potential is for the crop not to be growing fast enough to take it off. If it comes wet, and these soils are quite damp now, the rain was variable last weekend. I took four millimeters at Lincoln. They took nearly 20 mil down near Sleaford out at Boston. That figure was nearly an inch. So it's very damp out in the fields. The drains are starting to run. So they there is the capacity for leaching of nitrate and sulfate through the soil. So be aware of that. How much can you afford to lose? I wouldn't put an awful lot on a cereal crop if I was going to do anything, and I personally think you're too early. Now, as far as everything else goes, there's very little happening out there. If you take an opportunity and Atlantis still works for you, or Monolith or Pacifica, and it's still killing black grass, catch a day where the leaf is dry on the black grass and use one tank a day. Remember, you need the leaf to be dry, and you've got to get it to dry on in currently cold conditions by about two hours after application and that includes the dewfall. So you should only be putting one tank load on a day. Disease levels in wheat and oilseed rape not moving at all. Although keep your eyes peeled on this oilseed rape job at the moment because the light leaf spot with the current increase in temperatures and a slight change in the way things are we may see some movement on light leaf spot. Take some leaves, pop them in the airing cupboard and be prepared. But do remember you only get three weeks protection from a fungicide so if it comes cold again you'll waste your money until you get to the point where that disease is actively growing and actively moving and actively spreading you want to hold your fire on putting a fungicide on an oilseed rape crop so let's keep our fingers crossed that the weather does something in the la in the next seven days or so and i think as i'm not qualified obviously in meteorology but i can guarantee that well there will be some weather over the course of the next seven days a <laughs> man of his word always thank you sean sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Yes, it's a rather croaky Sean Dunderdale with you this week. Hello again. A question for you. Are you Britain's fittest farmer? Yeah, yeah, great. No, not you, Wardy. <laughs> Farmers Weekly have launched the hunt aimed at promoting physical and mental fitness in agriculture by championing farmers who are proactive about their health. You see, it's not the use of the word fit you were thinking, was it? Uh, you just need to answer honestly a few questions about how you keep your mind and body fit, along with a video or a photo. 
and you could well win the cash prize. Uh, the competition from Farmers Weekly closes in early April, so uh, you've got a bit of time yet to get yourself in shape. Very interesting. No, not you, Wardy. Uh, now, how are the grain markets? Are they fighting fit? Uh, Jerome Fielder can tell us from Openfield. Hi, Sean. Wheat markets had a panic on Thursday night, at one point down 3.50 on the day, although prices did recover slightly before the close of play, ending the day £2 down, £170.40 on the May 19 futures. So why the market shift? Well, unfortunately, there were three bearish news wires that hit the market on the same day. Trump decided to tweet that the deadline with, the chi- with China on trade talks would have to be pushed back by 60 days, which drove down the price of soya. The USDA then published US export data for the Christmas period, which looked lower than expected. This further sent the price downward. Then there was news that the Russian price of wheat was dropping, making them more export competitive. Unfortunately, with the US-China trade deal being delayed and the USDA export data being so far behind, there is little clarity in this market. The UK market feels tight, with consumers having limited cover for the April-July position, possibly awaiting the outcome of Brexit. Some feed mills have reduced wheat demand by increasing the corn percentage in the ration. The big talking point in the UK continues to be the disparity between the DEFRA June survey data and the basic payment scheme data. The basic payment scheme data suggests that the wheat area was 108,000 hectares lower than the DEFRA June survey data, which is approximately 800,000 tonnes of wheat. This is critical to the old crop price evolution for the balance of the season, as the size of the discrepancy could dictate whether the UK market trades at import or export parity. Currently, the UK domestic wheat market is firm, albeit at recent lower levels. This is evidenced by historically high feed wheat cash premiums over the futures in some regions which are not consistent with an oversupplied market, despite the increased inclusion of maize in rations. Milling wheat demand and premiums are also holding up, particularly in the nearby positions. On to the barley market. The barley market still has limited export demand, with consumers well covered on the nearby positions, resulting in prices of £145 to £150 spot. This has affected the malting barley market, which continues to drop, tracking the feed barley price. Please speak with your local farm business manager on new crop malting barley contracts. On to oilseeds, again all the focus has been on the US-China trade deal, although USDA export data did show some additional soybean purchases from China. Rapeseed futures continue to ease back, with crude oil prices dropping and a couple of biodiesel plants shutting due to strike action, thus reducing demand. New crop markets have followed the same direction as old crop, but in the short term, it's watching the exchange rate fluctuations following the EU negotiations. Now for your ex-farm prices. Feed wheat spot is between £166 and £170, depending on location, and as available for Harvest 19, you're looking between £140 and £145. For November 19, it's £145 to £150. X farm. Milling premiums are approximately £10 above feed. 
Feed barley market, spot is 145 to 150 pounds, and at harvest 19, it's 123 to 126 pounds. The Aussie rate market is trading spot at 312 to 315 pounds, at harvest between 300 and 305 pounds, and in November at 310 to 315 pounds. For any price inquiries, please speak to your local open field farm business manager. Thanks a lot, Sean. Thanks, Jerome. That's Jerome Fielder from Open Field. Now, we know how crucial the weather is to agriculture, so imagine knowing, almost minute by minute, what's happening on an individual plot of land. That's what the European company Sencrop is pledging with its new technology. Sencrop's co-founder is Martin de Croquet. So what's it all about, Martin? I think agriculture needs to have insight about what's occurring in the fields in real time, and Sencrop offers the possibility through dedicated objects and uh, sensors that are agro stations to view in real time every 15 minutes what's occurring in the different plots. So they can decide. It's very easy to install. They install in 10 minutes. They are connected not to 3G or 4G, but to low-power, long-range networks that are much more covering the country and uh, that is also consuming less batteries. So you can have just with one sensor a battery that lasts more than four years. You connect on on. And then every 15 minutes, you will have a flow of information coming from your field in terms of pluviometry, humidity, so rainfalls, uh, temperature, wind speed, direction of the wind, etc. So you can get uh, what's occurring. So the benefit is not only to, uh, to better organize yourself with your workers, to know where to begin your work uh, uh, or to sow or to harvest or to, to spray, but also um, on the agronomic part, you can easily view on different curves, compare from one field to another, but also potentially to fuel your decision support tools against certain disease. So we work with any kind of organism, a chemicals company, uh, uh, agronomists who have developed some models or farmers sometimes, and they can say, okay, because the data from sand crop is fueling into my system, I can detect the arrival of a disease like lead blight, septoria or whatever. So it's a very easy tool. Uh, we also include uh, not only uh, the observation of uh, what's occurring in terms of accumulation of rain, etc., uh, but also forecasts. So farmers can also view their own station. It is geolocalized, but also potentially other stations, so they know what's occurring elsewhere uh, in the country, and they can also have access to forecasting. Yeah, so you forecast perhaps what's what's coming, but this is really isolated for your own farm, for your own plot of land, right? Yes, well, not not necessarily because we have a, collabor- a collaborative tool. It's collaborative, so you can access to your station, but potentially to all the Sandcrop station. Mm-hmm. Now it's thousands of stations uh, everywhere, so you can view your own station, but perhaps five or 50 miles away or 500 miles away, you can view what's occurring. Very easy to use. You use it on your mobile. You use it uh, via PC uh, access uh, and very accessible, affordable. We just speak about uh, hundreds of pounds to, to access to one station. And a lot of farmers do put two or three of them to make sure what's occurring in their different plots and to, to have a view on it and to compare and to analyze. And as you say, if you get that, that right, it, it will save them thousands of pounds in a very short pace of time. It pays for itself, doesn't it? Yes, n- not only because they drive perhaps less, driving around, they have to... They can organize at 7 o'clock in the morning and they say they know exactly what's occurring in that plot compared to another one, but also in terms of spraying because they can save one week, two weeks, and if they have some decision support tools included, uh, they can easily say, okay, this time I can wait one, one week more and uh, they will spray less and they will save money. Yeah. And, and what's your background? 
Uh, I'm a son of farmer. Uh, my farmer was uh, uh, my my, fa my father was a farmer in uh, north of France near Flanders. So we are near nearby Belgium. That's why the company is uh, in both countries. Um, and I then I, I had a business. Uh, uh, track record, I say, I work a lot with uh, with farmers. Uh, I was dedicated since uh, five years in uh, connected objects, and uh, these kind of objects for precision farming are developing very fast. And uh, we wanted to take the opportunity to propose this kind of accessible, affordable, and easy to use uh, product for as much farmers as possible. Not only for the biggest farmers, but for all the ones who use uh, weather for their daily daily activities. That's Martin de Croquet of Sencrop speaking about his weather technology. Well, as we're talking weather, let's take a look not necessarily at your individual field, but an idea of what is to come this week. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Well, today should be dry, mostly anyway. We're looking at highs of 12 Celsius because of the wind that's blowing from the south through today at 20, gusting at 30 miles an hour. Staying cloudy overnight tonight, keeping temperatures around 6 Celsius to start Monday. That wind still from the south-southwest, 15 to 30 miles an hour. And then tomorrow, more of the same, a southwesterly at about 20 miles an hour. Temperatures at about 10, maybe a shower in places. It'll certainly be cloudy, but it should be mostly dry. Clear skies Monday into Tuesday, pushing temperatures down to around 4 Celsius. The wind more from the west-southwest, 15 to 25 miles an hour. And then through Tuesday itself, it will cloud over. Once again, we're looking at temperatures of around 9. That wind continuing from the west-southwest at about 15 miles an hour. Possibility of some rain for the middle of the week. If it does fall, it will be heavy for a time. We're looking at temperatures of around 11. The wind more from the southwest again, 15 to 25 miles an hour. And then the latter end of the week, a little calmer by the looks of things. The wind blowing more from the southeast. We're looking at overnight lows of around 5 Celsius with daytime highs of 12 or 13 to end the week. And that's the forecast. Next week, we'll hear from Charles Anion. He's chairing this year's Lincolnshire Farming Conference, which is taking place a week on Tuesday. It's a celebration of the Agricultural Society's 150th anniversary, looking at the next 150 years of farming. What will it look like then? I do wonder. Anyway, that's next week on the programme, and hopefully my voice will be back. Until then, have a good week's farming.